Bismillah, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Salatu Salam, Ala Rasulillah, Wala Alihi, Wasahbihi, Wamwala, Amma Bad, Assalamu Alaikum, Rahmatullahi Ta'ala, Wabarakatu. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah. So today, Alhamdulillah, Hadith number 39, the Prophet says, Inna Allah tajawaza an ummati al khata wa nisyan wa mastukrihu alayhi. Allah has overlooked, or you could also say, Allah has forgiven my nation, my ummah, for their mistakes their forgetfulness, and whatever they were forced to do. So let's take a look at this hadith. The first portion is what? Allah has overlooked or has forgiven my nation. Now, the first thing we need to note is that this is not the exact wording that Imam An-Nawi used. He actually said, So this goes into a long conversation about the different turuq or the different asani, uh, uh, the chains of narration. And what you find is that there, this hadith has been reported in many different books by many different chains. But it seems that there is one chain that is strong. It goes through uh, uh, Rabi' ibn Sulaiman. And from that chain you have, from, through him, you have uh, uh, seven chains that have the wording that I mentioned. There's no word li. He did it for me. And whereas two others have that wording, and that seems to be what uh, uh, Imam An-Nawi took from. And so it seems that that narration is shad, or you can say odd, because even though it was reported by narrators that seem to be strong, there's something stronger than it that contradicts it, and therefore it gets the ruling of shad. Anyway, long story short is that wording does not seem to be present in the most authentic uh, narrations. Now, we can say that this mistake took place because of the hadith which is very similar to it, which says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَجَاوَزَ لِي عَنْ أُمَّتِي مَا وَسْوَسَتْ بِهِ صُدُورُهَا مَا لَمْ تَعْمَلْ أَوْ تَكَلَّمْ That Allah has accepted my dua. This is describing Allah accepting the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, saying what? That he's accepted my dua, that whatever that will be, whatever gets whispered to the hearts of the people of my ummah, it will be forgiven so long as they don't act on it or talk about it. So this is the hadith. But that's not what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with the hadith that says, Allah Ta'ala has given, has overlooked this ummah, the ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu for what? For uh, uh, number one, their mistakes. So let's take a look at this in a little bit more detail. Uh, first and foremost, the general comment here is that what? Allah doesn't take people, doesn't consider the actions sinful if they aren't representative of what the person intended. So Allah Ta'ala, as we know, the first hadith was what? It's very fitting that this is near the end because near the beginning was what? Or the إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ That actions are by intentions. And so this is, you could say, uh, you know, uh, supporting that concept. As Allah says what? وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجِ That Allah has not placed upon you in this religion difficulty. Allah has not made things so tough on you that if you make a simple mistake that He's going to hold you accountable. Now the question is, why does it say this is for my ummah? And so this becomes an issue. What about past umam? What about past nations? And so the one answer, and seems to be the most the strongest position, is that the Israelites, Bani Israel, were held accountable, even if they would be forgetful. They would be held accountable. Why? Uh, even if they made a mistake. And this was actually a punishment upon them because of their refusal to submit willingly. You know, they they would try to use these, uh, you could say, ruchas, uh, you know, ruchsa, like allowances, and they would abuse them. So Allah said no that I'm going to make things extra difficult upon you. And this is actually mentioned specifically with regards to uh, animals that Allah Ta'ala mentions. That Allah mentions that to those who were Jewish, we had prohibited them from animals of uncloven hoof and of the cattle and of the sheep we prohibited for them, uh, their fat, except what adheres to their backs or their entrails or what is joined with the bone. And then Allah says what? ذَلِكَ جَزَيْنَاهُمْ بِبَغْيِهِمْ that is what we, we, we uh, repaid them with 
for their injustice. In other words, there are indications that show that rules were made extra hard on Bani Israel because of their uh, uh, you know, disobedience, because of their injustice, and because of their evil, or whatever, whatever bad things, whatever sins that they did. And so for this ummah, Allah, uh, the Prophet is saying what? That Allah is overlooked for this ummah because uh, you do things instead of by force, but also in good faith and in good will. And Allah knows best. So, in Allah tajawaza an ummati al khata, mistakes. Now, there's different types of mistakes, right? So, this seems to be referring to the type of mistake that is 100% unintentional. Because there's layers to mistakes, right? You could, let's say, for example, intend to hurt somebody and then you end up killing that person. So, was that a mistake? Yes. But how much of a mistake was it? You did intend to hurt, right? If you hit somebody, let's say, with a baseball bat, the intention was to harm, not to kill, let's say, for instance, right? But still, you were still hitting them with a bat, right? So you could say, what is it, 50%, 70%? How much, what percentage was it a mistake and was it intentional? And then there are also mistakes that happen due to negligence, for instance. Like, for example, a person could say, oh, I've forgotten Qur'an. Yeah, but that's because you don't review, right? Like if you, if you, if, if due to negligence, you don't do your reviewing of the Quran, of course you're going to forget, right? So can you say that that person is forgiven? No, that person is being negligent and therefore those, that's considered sinful. This hadith seems to be referring to what? Mistakes that are completely unintentional and Allah knows best. And this is at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah and how fitting that it's at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah to distinguish us from Bani Israel. Uh, uh, that Allah says what? That uh, Allah does not burden a soul with more than its capacity. Uh, it will have the consequences of what good it has gained and it will bear the consequences of whatever evil it has earned. And then we make the dua. That uh, our Lord do not impose on us blame if we have either forgotten or if we have made a mistake. And this is a dua that through the hadith we know that Allah accepted this dua. And so this, is, this hadith is exactly expressing that. There are other ayat of the Qur'an that express the same idea in which Allah Ta'ala mentions وَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ فِيمَا أَخْطَأْتُمْ بِهِ وَلَكِمْ مَا تَعَمَّدَتْ قُلُوبُكُمْ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمًا And there is no blame upon you for that in which you have made a mistake or erred but only what your hearts intended and ever is Allah forgiving and merciful. This is also highlighted in the story of Dawood and Sulaiman Very beautifully it mentions how uh, Allah mentions and mentioned David and Solomon when they were judged concerning the, when, they, uh, when, they, uh, when they judged concerning the field uh, when the sheep of a people overran it at night and we were witness to their judgment and then Allah says what? فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا سُلَيْمَانْ وَكُلًّا آتَيْنَا حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا We gave uh, and we gave understanding of this case to Sulaiman but to each of them, we gave judgment and knowledge. And so this, uh, these ayat are describing, look, a certain case came to these two. And these were both prophets and kings and you know, rulers of their people, and their father and son. Dawood Sulaiman What's amazing is that both of them had knowledge and good judgment, yet, even though they both had a good judgment, Sulaiman's was better. And so Allah is demonstrating what? That even if you have a good, even if you make a lot of effort and try your best to make a judgment, you can still make a mistake, but that doesn't make you an evil person. Allah will overlook that. This can even be done by a prophet, subhanAllah. And this is exactly what is described when the Prophet says what? When a judge gives a decision and he tried his best to be correct and he is right, there are two rewards for him. However, if he gives a judgment after trying his best to arrive at the correct decision, but he's mistaken, then there is only one reward for him. So whether you get it right or wrong, both has ajr, both have good, good reward. 
but if you get it right, two rewards. If you get it wrong, still one reward. Why? Conditional on the idea that you actually tried your best. You're not just speaking willy-nilly, you're not speaking irresponsibly, you actually try your best. Some scholars, they'll say that this only applies to uh, 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 mistakes that are small in nature, not major ones, but actually there's, there's proof to show otherwise. It can even be for major mistakes. And there's a very beautiful hadith that describes this in Sahih Bukhari, in which the Prophet mentions, I'm not going to uh, read the whole thing because it's a lengthy narration, just to paraphrase, the Prophet describes how there was a man from a long time ago, from, from uh, you know, uh, nations before us. This man, <clears throat> he was on his deathbed speaking to his children, and he said, was I a good father? And they said, of course, you were a very good father. He says, I don't think I have any good deeds with Allah. I don't think I did anything good. So what I want you to do, and he made them promise an oath. When I die, you burn my body. And then you crush up the ash. And then you scatter it in the wind. Why? Because I don't want Allah to be able to resurrect me. So this person clearly had a big mistake, not a small mistake. He was questioning Allah's qadr, or you could say that he had a faulty mistake with regards to his aqidah, his creed, when it came to Allah's power to resurrect. He was saying, I, I want to get away from Allah's judgment. So they, you know, they swore the oath, they burned him, they crushed him, obviously when he had passed away, of course. They crushed him up, threw him in the wind, and then what happened? Allah Ta'ala tells him, B, he comes back, uh, and then Allah mentions what? When he says, Kun, when he said, B, he came back as a man standing. So imagine he gets brought back, and he's standing before Allah, and Allah Ta'ala asks him, A, A, Abdi, ma hamalaka ala an fa'alta ma fa'alta. He says, Oh my slave, what made you do what you did? And then he says, Makhafatuka. Nothing but what? My fear of you. I just because I was afraid of you, oh, Ya Allah. And then Allah, then the Prophet mentions that nothing saved him but Allah's mercy. So he was saved. Even though he had faulty, a faulty belief, a faulty ideology, he still was saved, subhanAllah. So this is an incredible hadith. And so this goes to show that even if you make a mistake, whether big or small, if it's sincere, you're trying your best, then inshallah ta'ala, it will be overlooked and you'll still be uh, forgiven, inshallah ta'ala. Now, this doesn't mean that we if we know the right answer and we see somebody doing something wrong, we say, oh look, he's sincere, let him keep making his mistakes. That's not right. Your job is still to tell the truth and if they are indeed sincere, they will be happy that they were corrected in whatever mistake that they're making, inshallah ta'ala. Now this now turns into a fiqh issue. What gets overlooked? Is it the thing that gets overlooked is just the sin or the sin and also the worldly consequences? Anyway, there's a lot of discussion on this issue and a lot of fuqaha have given different perspectives, but it seems the strongest opinion at the end of the day is that it is the sin, but not the worldly consequences for a mistake. So we have lots of examples. Simplest example would be property damage. If I accidentally break brother Ziad's phone, I can say, and inshallah, because it was an accident, I have no sin with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Obviously, if I go and I break his phone, then the sin is with Allah ta'ala, I'm gonna have to deal with that on judgment day. But if, let's say, I break his phone by accident, then there is no sin between me and Allah on Judgment Day. However, do I still owe him money? In this dunya, I still have responsibility. Oh, but it was a mistake. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. I still owe him a phone. Either I fix it, or I buy him a new one, or whatever the case, or I give him an equivalent in cash. There's different ways of dealing with it, but the fact is I'm still responsible from a fiqh perspective. You can't say, oh no, inna Allah dajawaza an ummati. Allah overlooks the, the khata, the khata, it was a mistake, khata. Yeah, yeah, Allah over, overlooks the sin. Not the fact that you owe me my new phone, for example. What about when it comes to salah? Well, if you've missed your prayer, or you prayed in the wrong direction, or you prayed without wudu, or you had some sort of najasa, some sort of impurity on your clothes, and you never find out about it, you never find out, then inshallah you're forgiven, because you, you, you prayed your prayer, you, did, you made a mistake, or you thought you prayed and you didn't, and you never find out. You didn't know, you didn't know. So inshallah you are forgiven. However, the moment you remember, now you can't say, Oh, it was khata'i, I forgot. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. Now you remember. 
you're still now, you still have to now make up what you uh, missed. As the Prophet says, the Prophet Sallallahu says, مَن نَسْيَ صَلَاةً فَلْيُصَلِّهَا إِذَا ذَكَرَهَا لَا كَفَارَةَ لَهَا إِلَّا ذَلِكَ That the Prophet says, he who forgets the prayer should say it, should, should, should say his prayer when he remembers it. When you remember it, then do your prayer. There is no expiation for that sin except this. You can't say, oh, well, I'm going to give it in charity or I'm going to this. No, no, no. The expiation for missing your salah, do your salah when you remember. Uh, now, when it comes to not having wudu, same thing. Let's say you pray your, your whole salah, all of salat al-dhuhr, and then you're done. Salam, salam, salam. Then you remember, oh, I didn't have wudu. It didn't count. You have to make wudu, you have to re-pray your prayer. There is a difference of opinion when it comes to qibla. Let's say you pray your salah, and you salam, salam, you're done, your salah, and you say, oh my goodness, I was praying in the wrong direction the whole time. I forgot it. What was I doing? Some say it's still considered, well, some say you have to redo it. The qibla was wrong, therefore you have to redo it. Others, scholars say no, based on, uh, Wallah ta'ala alam, I believe it's based on the verse, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبُ فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ That, and to Allah belongs the east and the west, so, so wherever you may turn, there is the face of Allah. So Wallah ta'ala alam, there is a difference of opinion about qibla, and Allah knows best. With regards to Jum'ah though, there is no difference of opinion. If you miss Jum'ah, you can't pray two raka'ah Jum'ah. You have to pray four raka'ah of Zuhr. It doesn't matter if you made a mistake, you still have to pray Zuhr. When it comes to zakah, you made the mistake of giving the money to the wrong person. Let's say you took your zakah money and you gave it to a wealthy person. It was a mistake. Okay, it was a mistake, but you still owe your zakah money. So either you can take another, that same amount of money and give it to somebody who's actually in need, or, but alhamdulillah, you can go to the courts and say, I want my money back. <laughs> you can obviously take your money back from that wealthy person who you gave your money to, you have that right. When it comes to murder, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it very clear. Allah says, وَمَا كَانَ لِلْمُؤْمِنٍ أَنْ يَقْتُلَ مُؤْمِنًا إِلَّا خَطَأً وَمَنْ قَتَلَ مُؤْمِنًا خَطَأً فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ وَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ Allah says what? And never is it for a believer to kill a, a, another believer except by mistake. And whoever kills a believer by mistake, then the freeing of a believing slave and a compensation payment presented to the deceased family, blood money, uh, is required unless they give it as a right in charity. So the family can say, listen, I know it was an honest mistake. We're not going to charge you. It's okay. I understand. Let's say, you know, imagine it's a, whatever the case may be. Uh, and of course, there are exceptions to this. If you don't have the money, then of course you can do a shahrain mutatabi'in. You can fast for two months consecutively. The ayah goes into more detail. By the way, I know somebody that this happened to. SubhanAllah. These things actually do happen. I know of a Muslim uh, brother who uh, he had, uh, it was in high school. Imagine how, how sad this was. This was in high school. He had his friend. Both of them are Muslim. And the guy was on top of his uh, car. And they were just uh, goofing around. And the guy flew off the car and then hit his head and then passed away. Uh, and so the brother, uh, he could not obviously free a slave. This is not something possible today. So he fasted two months straight consecutively. Uh, so may Allah forgive us all. You know, um, it was a mistake. It's very devastating for the family. But yeah, these things have to be done. Uh, that is the, uh, the expiation, the kafara. When it comes to slaughter, there's a difference of opinion. Uh, when it comes to slaughtering an animal, if you forget to say Bismillah Allahu Akbar for the slaughter, is it still considered uh, 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 the, you know, halal meat or is it not? Some take the strict opinion say, if you forgot, even by accident, it's not considered uh, a clean meat. Why? Because Allah says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا مِمَّا that do not eat that which upon Allah's name has not been mentioned, for indeed, that is a grave disobedience. However, others would say, look, if it's a mistake, it's not fisq. It's not a grave uh, disobedience. So if it's a mistake, it's still halal. So anyway, there's a difference of opinion there, and Allah knows best. When it comes to divorce, though, it seems that there's no difference of opinion because of a specific hadith. 
The Prophet said, and the Hanafis particularly use this evidence. They use qiyas on this, on this uh, hadith in which the Prophet, the Prophet says, That three things, when they're said seriously, they're serious, and even when they're a joke, they're serious. And they are an nikah, wa talaq, wa raja'ah. That uh, marriage, divorce, and also taking back a wife. Why? Because these are legal statements. Just think about, for example, if you're in court and you're under oath, and the judge asks you questions, and then you give a bunch of faulty information. And then they find out that you're lying in court. So they say you're going to go to jail because you were lying under oath. And then you say, no, no, I was joking. There's no joking in court. Why? Because when it comes to legal issues, there's no joking. Obviously, right? So when it comes to, same thing, there's another hadith that mentions this as well, and it mentions a freeing of a slave. Let's say at the time of the Prophet, back then, when somebody had, let's say, a, a servant. I free you if you get this job done. Okay, does the job. Oh, you, oh, am I free? No, I was joking. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You're, this is a legal statement. Say, oh, I, I married you, or I divorced you. Oh, no, I was joking. Doesn't work. So, wallahu ta'ala alam, it seems that, oh, I, I said I divorced her, but I was mistaken. By qiyas, the ahnaf, the, the Hanafi position is, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, what about a, uh, a fasting person? This is something that Allah Ta'ala has actually specifically, that the, through the Prophet we know that this has been granted to us. As the Prophet says, what? إِذَا نَسِيَ فَأَكَلَ وَشَرِبَ فَلْيُتِمَّ صَوْمَهُ فَإِنَّمَا أَطْعَمَهُ اللَّهُ وَسَقَاهُ That the Prophet says, if somebody eats or drinks forgetfully while he's fasting, then he should continue and complete his fast. For what he has eaten and drank is a gift given to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we know that if you're fasting, let's say on the first or second day of Ramadan, and then you go to your fridge and you're like, you know, it's morning time, you're just kind of tired, and you're like, oh, let me just take, oh, it's Ramadan, what do I do? What is, what is the ruling? That was a gift from Allah, keep fasting. Inshallah, nobody does something ridiculous like, oh, I prepared a whole meal, and I ate till my full, and I drank, no, no, this is, it gets, I mean, how believable is it that you forgot all that? But yeah, sometimes it happens. You take a sip and then you say, oh, astaghfirullah. I've even seen a person take a sip and then people are like about to tell him, they say, let him finish, you know, because he doesn't know, right? So let him take a few more sips. And then when he says, when, he, when he's done, say, hey, you're fasting. Oh, okay, I still finish. And there's no kafara, there's no expiation, inshallah. The hadith goes on to say, one nisyan, and forgetfulness. Again, this is regarding forgetfulness, not talking about amnesia or being senile. This is referring to people just forgetting by accident. And this is not negligence. Again, like the Qur'an, you can't say, oh, I forgot Qur'an, but it's not my fault because it just came out of my head. No, you were ne being negligent. You purposefully uh, did not uh, make an effort to uh, review your Qur'an. And then the final portion is what? And whatever they have been enforced. Now, there's two words in Arabic, well, it's probably multiple, but anyway, there's two words that I want to focus on in Arabic that mean to enforce. Al-ikrah wal-ijbar. Does anybody know the difference between them? Al-ikrah, enforce. Al-ijbar, enforce. What's the difference? From a, fiqh, from a fiqh perspective, how do the fuqaha use them differently? Does anybody know? So this is one of those trivia questions. So the fuqaha, when they use ikrah, that's for bad things. Like if I go up to Ziyad and I say, give me $100, or give me all your money or else I'm going to shoot you. This is ikrah. I'm enforcing him in an evil way. But if I'm the judge and I tell him, you have to pay your debt or else I'm going to throw you in jail. That's ijbar. I'm forcing him, but in a good way because I'm the judge and I'm doing, he, he owes money. So this is the way fuqaha use these two words and Allah knows best. Now, regarding these situations, there are four different components. So let's take the example. I come up to Ziyad with a gun. I say, give me all your money or else I'm going to kill you, right? So what are the four components? Component number one, al-mukrih, the enforcer, which is me. Uh, in this in this scenario, al-mukrah, the enforced, that is ziyad in this case, al-mukrah bihi, the threat, that is death, and al-mukrah alayh, that is the money, the, the thing that is being enforced. Give me the money, give me the money. That's what's being enforced. So these four components, three of them have conditions. What are the conditions for it to be a legitimate enforcement? 
The first one, the enforcer, I have to actually be capable of doing it. If I'm a little kid with a squirt gun saying I'm going to kill you, he can't say, I had to give him my money, he had a squirt gun. Doesn't make any sense. So I have to legitimately be able to threaten him. Number two, the enforced person. He cannot be able to overpower. So if I say I'm going to hurt you and physically beat you up, but he can beat me up, then it doesn't work. If he's bigger and stronger than me, then that's not legitimate, right? Uh, and then when it comes to the threat itself, it has to be something significant. It can be death, injury. Now again, when it comes to injury, what is considered? Obviously, if you're chopping off a limb, then that's considered a serious threat. What if it's just breaking up a finger? See, this is where, this is where it becomes the gray area. Wallah ta'ala a'lam. Imprisonment for long periods of time, threats to family and friends, destruction of major property, like I'm going to burn your house down. All these things are considered what? Legitimate al-mukrah uh, bihi, the real threats. But then, of course, it becomes a gray area when you make it smaller and smaller. What if I'm going to burn, I don't know, $100 from you? Something like this. Well, no, Allah, it becomes more reasonable. So, now, when it comes to being threatened for your life, for the sake of kufr, for the sake of disbelief, Allah says what? مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِهِ إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنُّ بِالْإِيمَانِ That Allah mentions, Allah is in this ayah threatening those who turn back to disbelief. But Allah says, whoever disbelieve, disbelieves after, after having faith, after having iman, with the exception of the one who is being forced while his heart is secure in faith. So in other words, the threat doesn't apply to the one who is being enforced. You're allowed to make a statement of kufr if you are being forced. If somebody has you at gunpoint and says, you know, uh, say a statement that you don't believe in, uh, you know, the shahada la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, you're allowed to do that. However, and this by the way, extends also to actions like bowing down to an idol or whatever the case is. Uh, according to the strongest opinion from amongst the fuqaha, whether it be a statement or an action, they, you're allowed to go against it. Uh, you're allowed to submit to that uh, kufr. However, if you don't, and you allow yourself to die for the sake of Allah, then you are following the example of many of the Sahaba. Like for example, Bilal anhu, he said, you guys can kill me, keep torturing me. Ahadun ahad, I don't care. Uh, the uh, family of uh, Ali Yasir, the family of Yasir we know, عنهم, many of them uh, passed away due to their uh, being tortured for the sake of their Islam. And there's countless others from amongst the Sahaba and throughout history, people who died for maintaining their belief and they, they are considered martyrs. This should not be the case, however, when it comes to smaller things. Like if somebody said, drink wine or else I'll kill you. Drinking wine is a sin. And so you should say, well, preserving my life is more important. So I'll say, okay, I'll take the sip, no problem. Uh, and then it's okay. And Allah knows best. In fact, there's a lengthy hadith in which uh, Al-Khabab uh, ibn al-Ard, he came to the Prophet and he complained. He said, Won't you ask Allah to give us victory? Won't you ask Allah for help for us? Won't you pray? Won't you ask Allah to give us help? Because they were being tortured. This is during the time of, uh, of Mecca. And then the Prophet went, into, go on, went on into detail explaining there were people before you who would be put inside of, like, the, like a hole would be dug and they'd be placed inside that hole and they would be split in half with a saw. And there would be other people, their bodies would be combed to, in a way that their flesh would be removed from their bone and yet they were still patient. And so these are all a hadith indicating what? That being patient in the, in the face of uh, being forced to do kufr, this is considered uh, martyrdom. Uh, and this is not considered suicide and Allah knows best. However, there are exceptions to this. One exception is if you're in a position of leadership. For example, a prophet would not be allowed to make a statement of kufr because he's a prophet of Allah. And therefore, if he's threatened, then he's going to say, okay, you, you can kill me. I'll, I'll take death over making a statement of kufr. Why? Because he's a prophet. He has to guide the people. And this also can apply to ulama. So some scholars, some scholars will say, too many people are following me and paying attention to what I do and take my word as, 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 as the truth. And so therefore, as scholars, they say, I, I can't. I, even if the, 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 the ruler is going to kill me, and even if I have that, uh, uh, you know, ruhsa or exception, 
I'm not going to take it because I'm, I'm going to misguide too many people if I do so. So this is something that you have to consider. How many people are looking up to you? We know Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, famously would not change his position even though he was uh, tortured and uh, jailed and, and so forth for it. So he's a good example of this. What if you're being forced to kill somebody else? Haram. You can't. If person A tells person B, you have to kill person C or else I'm going to kill you, then person B has to say, I'm not going to kill person C. Mr. A, you can kill me if you want. Uh, I can't do it. Why? Because one Muslim has no more of a right to live than the other Muslim that he would be killing. You just don't have a right to do so. And furthermore, what if he says, kill two people? Are you going to kill both? What if he says, kill three people? Are you going to kill all three? You, see, you can see how dangerous this can get. The idea is, you don't have a right to do so. It actually becomes interesting. What if a, a Muslim under duress does kill somebody, does kill another Muslim? Who does the death penalty apply to? It seems the strongest opinion from Imam Malik, Imam Ahmed, Imam Shafi'i, they say both the enforcer and the killer, both should be killed, uh, for, for, given the death penalty. Abu Hanifa says just the enforcer. And Imam Zufar, apparently, <laughs> he had a very odd opinion. He said just the killer, <laughs> subhanAllah. He said the killer should have just said, look, I die. And if he doesn't, then he's the only one that gets killed. So that's, that's an odd opinion, obviously. But it goes to show just how serious this issue is. That the, 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 the one who's saying, I was under duress, not an excuse. The strongest opinion, both the enforcer and the, and the killer, both get killed and Allah knows best. So, just I hope this makes it clear that uh, Allah Ta'ala overlooks the sins when you make a mistake, when you forget, or when you're under uh, a duress. However, there are certain circumstances in which, yes, the sin may be forgiven, but the rights of the ibad, hukuq al-ibad, the, the rights of the slaves of Allah Ta'ala, human beings, are still upheld. We can't just say, oh, everything goes. No, obviously not. When it comes to da property damage and so on and so forth. And also, you can do things under duress, like for example, make statements of kufr, but you also have to consider, how many people look up to me? How much misguidance will be taking place? Do I, would I, would I prefer martyrdom? And also, I cannot kill uh, for, uh, even under duress. So these are still you know, exceptional circumstances that need to be sparsed out, and Allah knows best. So with that, we close and we open up for comments and questions. Jazakallah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.